Everyone else, take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. It's great to have, um, well, when, uh, when Jen came to our church as a college student, Melanie came, Karen came, so we all came, yeah, yeah, and so it's great to have all of you back. Sam and Karen got married, moved to Houston, they're all over the place, but it's great to have this row of four more fullness people uh, back with us today. Glad that you're, you're all here, and great to see what God is doing with you around the world. We are finishing up today a series on the Psalms. Twelve weeks we've been looking at the Psalms. Uh, for those of you who are interested in what's coming up next, um, we're going to do a series on 1 John starting next week. 1 John, um, talking about uh, real life and true love. What does love really look like when practiced in life uh, versus what we say it is many times? How, how, do we, how does it play out? So you can read 1 John to get prepped for that. We'll spend the next several weeks at least in the book of 1 John. But today we're finishing up the series on the Psalms. Since the beginning of time, people who are attracted to God have tried to find an expression in their thanks and praise and worship, and it's resulted in singing. Uh, we are a singing people from the beginning of Genesis through the end of Revelation, you see that the people of God, when their hearts are moved by God, they sing to God. If you don't like to sing, that's okay, Um, but uh, there's an aspect of eternal singing that's going to take place around the throne, so I don't know what to tell you. Uh, The book of the Psalms is the hymn book of the Hebrew nation. It's a very unique book. The 150 psalms that are gathered there express life over various ways, like we express life uh, through song. The word psalm is a, is a Greek word, and it, res, it, it speaks of a song accompanied by a string instrument. The Hebrew word for psalm, tehillim, uh, means to sing praises to God. And we don't know the tunes that went with these hymns, these psalms, but they're all songs that were to be sung. So it'd be like if I said to you, hey, hey go, read this, uh, go read this majestic hymn book and just worship on it, but you didn't know the tunes, you just knew the words. That's what we have, but they, they're expressive of a period of time. They're, they're by many different authors over a thousand-year period of time. They're divided up, actually, into five different books. So as you read the Psalms, I want to encourage you in the days ahead to understand that you're reading the songs of a people. And we've seen over the days all the various kinds of songs that are given, songs of praise, wisdom, suffering, faith, nationalism, songs of pilgrimage or journey, meditation, psalms of forgiveness, Psalms of Thanksgiving, just really psalms that have to do with with life. In their entirety, the psalms emphasize the various elements of our life with God. Today's psalm, Psalm 150, is really a closing benediction or a closing doxology. It's a very familiar psalm that talks really about worship. Every week, we gather together at 10 a.m. 
to sing, to pray, to hear the word, to worship God. But over time, it kind of becomes old hat if you're not careful. Gathering to worship becomes old. It just becomes road. It becomes ritual. Sometimes we need to get shaken up a little bit to understand because it just becomes like noise to us. I remember the first time uh, I went out to Cindy James' house. Kathy and I went out to Cindy's house. We're sitting there. We're talking to Cindy. All of a sudden, this rumbling starts happening. This noise starts gathering, and it just, it feels, the house just begins to rattle a little bit, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And Cindy was like, what? What? Do you not hear that? And she said, oh, that, that's just a train. It's just a train. Well, Cindy's house is like, I don't know. It's close to the train track. It felt like it had gone through the bedroom somewhere. (laughs) Over time, if you live in a certain place, you get either used to noise or used to quiet. You get used to planes flying over to your house. You can get used to any kind of of noise. And it's like that at church. Uh, I'm not sure if you understand what a great place fullness is. Uh, you get so used, you think every church is like this. And I want to say, um, it's not. We're not perfect, but not every place is like this place. Worship is something we need to understand and to enter into, or otherwise it's going to become an old hat to us. This week, as we close out the study of the Psalms, I want to look at Psalm 150, which is the final uh, hallelujah or hallel psalm. There are three different sections of hallel psalms, by the way. There's the Egyptian hallel psalms, which are Psalms 113 through 18. There's the great hallel, which is 120 through 136. And then there's this final section of hallelujah psalms, hallel psalms, which is 146 through 50. And that each teach a different concept, so to speak, of praising God, and then it closes with this great doxology. So what I want us to do is I want us to stand, I want us to read the psalm together, and then we're going to look at kind of the who, what, when, where, how stuff compared to relationship to worship. So read along with me if you would. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord, we pray this morning that you would show us how you want to be worshipped. Lord, may we get out from beyond ourselves and the idea that worship is man-centered. Instead, let us understand the truths about worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Be seated. So, let's look at some uh, various truths about this 
called to worship. And the first one is this. We are called to worship. If we were to answer the who, what, where, when, why, and how questions, those journalistic questions that we all have learned at some point in school, this is the, this is the what question. What are we told to do? Well, we're told to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The command which begins and ends the psalm in English is three words. Praise the Lord. Uh, not too complicated, but in, but in the original language, it's just one word. It's hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I, I want us to look at this word just for a second because it really should shape how we worship. The first part of hallelujah, which means praise the Lord, is hallel. Hallel means to... Um, to glory in something, to be proud of something, to take your boast in it. Many times in the Psalms, it says, my soul boasts in the Lord. My soul boasts in the Lord. And deep down in our hearts, every single one of us has a desire to boast in something. Because in boasting in something, we find our worth in whatever we're boasting in. So, You might be around someone and they're boasting, so to speak, about their job. They talk about their job all the time. Someone may boast in the resources that they have. Maybe they boast in the college that they went to. Especially if you're from Alabama, you you find that uh, tendency quite often. You know the rest of the world doesn't do it quite like we do it. In case you ever get out of Alabama to understand they don't boast in their sports They don't necessarily boast in it, but many people do. Many people boast in their families. They boast in their children. All they can talk about is their children. Uh, And it's not bad to find significance in our kids, but if our significance is tied up in anything other than God, then in fact what we're doing is we're making an idol of it. We're lifting it up. We're finding our significance in in that thing. We need to find our boast, our significance in the Lord. And the second part of hallelujah, Yah, it's a shortened version, a shortened section of the term Yahweh. So when you say hallelujah, you're saying hallel Yahweh. And Yahweh is the more personal, there are a lot of terms in the Old Testament about God. There's Elohim which is kind of the the greatness of God we sang about earlier. But Yahweh was more the personal aspect of God, the fact that God loves us, that we are in relationship with him. Yahweh is the name he gives to his people. It's the name he asks his people to call him in the Old Testament, the, the people who know his saving love. This is the first part of worship that's really critical What are we finding our boast in this morning? Because whatever you boast in, you worship. You declare it's worthy. And so the command of the psalmist is really this, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Find your worth in him. It is a call to worship. In Jeremiah, the prophet says, The Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, 
that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. Boast in the Lord. That's where we find delight, the delight of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, we're called to worship. Then there's the when and where we're called to worship. And this is very simply this. Praise the Lord. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. This simple phrase is basically saying, in church, out of church, praise the Lord. Wherever you are, whenever you're there, praise the Lord. You see, worship isn't, we say this over and over and over and over and over here at Fullness. Worship is not limited to what we do here on Sunday morning in this hour and a half. From 10 to 11.30, I know we talk about going, I'm going to go to worship, I'm going to go to church. But worship is what you do every moment of every day, wherever you are. You're finding reasons to praise the Lord. This past week, I read about a woman by the name of Angela who locked her keys in her car. She went to, she'd going to the pharmacy to get some medicine for her sick husband. She comes out, she discovers her keys are locked in her car. She's in a hurry to get home. She sees a hanger that's just on the ground. She says, oh, thank you, Lord, for this hanger. Then she goes to use it, and she says, Lord, I, please help me. I've never done this before. Help me to unlock this door quickly. Almost as soon as her prayer is over, uh, this biker guy comes right next to her and says, ma'am, can I help you? And she says, can you help me unlock the door? He says, no problem. He's, you know, beard, tat, tatted up guy, unlocks her door. And she goes, oh, Lord, thank you for sending this nice man to unlock my door. And the guy goes, ma'am, I, I, I gotta, I'm not a nice man. I just got out of prison for uh, auto theft. And so I'm really not a nice man. And so she hugs him and she says, Lord, thank you for sending this professional. <laughs> Look, we can worship God because of what he does in our life at any moment of any time, anywhere. Many of us, we operate in a fear-based mentality where the greatest fears of our lives many times are realized because we keep rehearsing them to ourselves all the time, over and over and over again. Instead, if we live lives of worship where every moment of every day we're giving God praise and glory in every single circumstance, then we'll be following the words of the psalmist. I will bless the Lord at how many times? All times. No matter what's going on, his praise will continually, always be on my lips. We're to worship God all the time, wherever we are. Why are we to worship? It says, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Why do we praise him? We praise him because he deserves it. Remember, the psalmist here is in many ways summarizing everything that's taken place in earlier passages. In one of the earlier Hallel Psalms, Psalm 147, just a couple of psalms before, the psalmist begins by saying, praise the Lord, again the same phrase, hallelujah, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. We praise him because it's pleasant and fitting because of who he is and what he has done. Now, I find that term fitting to be a little odd. 
it is fitting. To, I don't go around usually say, hey, you know, it's fitting for me to do this. It's fitting. It's just not in my, it doesn't flow in my vocabulary uh, very much. But the psalmist is saying, really here, older translations say we praise God because he is pleasant and comely. Well, that's not a word I use very often either. Comely, fitting. Basically, it's saying we praise God because it's, he's beautiful. He's worthy of all praise. It fits us and it fits him to praise him. Augustine said in very poetic language, basically, that you should never go to God. Listen to this carefully. He said, you should never go to God because he's useful, but only because he's beautiful. And yet, there's nothing more useful than finding God beautiful. I love the way he phrases that. It speaks of intention. We go to God not because what we can get from him, but just because he's worthy. He's beautiful. And yet, when we get there in his beauty, we find that that's more than useful. It fits him and it fits us to worship. Perspective on worship really does matter. Why do you come to worship? Do you worship him here corporately and every day because you feel obligated? Because you need something from God? Because if you don't do it, you feel like God's going to get you? Or do you do it because he's worthy of it? He's beautiful. It changes your whole perspective on what occurs in worship. Tim Keller, in a sermon on Psalm 147, talks about Iris Murdoch, who was a British philosopher and journalist, She wrote a philosophical essay called The Sovereignty of Good. And she, in it, does this thought experiment. She says this, Imagine a mother-in-law who is a very, very proper British mother. She's deeply distressed about the girl her son has married. Why? Because, Iris Murdoch, Murdoch says, because she is unpolished, lacking in dignity and refinement, inclined to be pert and familiar, insufficiently ceremonious, brusque, sometimes positively rude, and always tiresomely juvenile. It's the way the British people talk, I think, uh, about uh, different people, uh, whatever. In Alabama, we'd have totally different terms for for this. But the mother-in-law sees her new daughter-in-law, in this frame of reference. And the mother-in-law, to her credit, is not at all happy about her view of her, mother, of her daughter-in-law because she realizes it's creating distance between she and her son and her daughter-in-law. So she does this thing where she says, well, maybe the problem isn't her. Maybe the problem is me. Now, let me just say, this is a major, major step in life to actually look out of ourselves and say, you know what, maybe the problem isn't, isn't with them, maybe the problem is with me. If we could ever just say something like this or get a hold of something like this, it really would alter perspective. Maybe the problem isn't my children, maybe the problem is me and my expectations of my children. Maybe the problem is not my boss, maybe the problem is You understand the point? Sometimes if we can get outside of ourselves and see that maybe it's centered in us, it will help us. 
So the mother-in-law, she starts to think differently. She begins to get out of herself, out of her self-centeredness, away from her self-absorption to try and view someone and the situation from another person's point of view. In her mind, Murdoch says, she begins to realize her daughter-in-law is not so much vulgar as refreshingly simple, not so much undignified as spontaneous, not so much noisy as joyful, not so much tiresomely juvenile, but delightfully youthful. It changes her perspective. It changes her perspective of her daughter-in-law, and it changes the relationship she has with her in the long run. How does this happen now? Iris Murdoch was not a Christian. She was more a philosopher. But I do think she gets this right when she says, we are anxiety-ridden animals. Our minds are continually active, fabricating an anxious, usually self-preoccupied, often falsifying veil which partially conceals the world. What is she saying? She's saying we're self-absorbed to the point that there's this veil that goes over our eyes that the way we view the world is through our own self-centeredness. And we have this challenge to get over this self-centeredness to the point where we can understand what's going on around us. And if we're not careful, this bent toward self-centered It influences our worship, it influences our relationship, it influences every part of who we are, and we've all got this disease. I mean, really, we've all got this self-centered disease. It's part of our sinful bent. Again, Augustine says that human nature is curved in on itself and is self-centered. Worshiping God breaks this off of us. I read this past week an interview by... Art Garfunkel, do you remember Simon and Garfunkel? Um, for those of you my age, uh, like a bridge over troubled waters, uh, Simon and Garfunkel were really big, really, really big in the early 70s. Art Garfunkel was the tall one with the curly hair, Paul Simon, shorter, um, very poetic. Art Garfunkel is now 73 years old, 73. And in this interview, he couldn't help but keep calling Simon a jerk. Uh, because he walked away from their duet stuff when they were young and at the height of their fame. And rather than saying, you know what, the two of us, we were great together. It brought me fame. It brought me fortune. All he can do, he's so self-centered, all he can do is say, you know, I took him in when he was in high school and he was so short, no one would have anything to do with him. And he basically says, I made him what he is. And then he walked away from this. To me, it's just to be 73 and be in this position where you're like blaming someone for, I mean, really, if they hadn't come together, we, none of us here would know who Art Garfunkel is if it hadn't been for Simon and Garfunkel. And rather than being grateful, he's still bitter. Many of us approach God in that same vein. Rather than saying, I am so grateful for what God has done, I'm worshiping him no matter what. We're so self-centered that we see our problems. Some of us, our boast is in that we got so many stinking problems. I mean, we'd rather boast in the fact that we have problems than boast in the greatness of God. I mean, we're crazy in the way we operate. 
It's nuts, and yet it influences every part of us. We need to worship God because he, it's fitting. He's worthy of worship. We worship him because he's great. How are we called to worship? Well, in a quick way, in any way imaginable. I mean, God loves to be worshipped. Uh, this is a song of worship to God, the Psalm 150, but this section doesn't even mention words. I mean, it talks about praising him with the trumpet, the harp, and lyre, praise him with tambourine and dancing, praise him with strings and flute, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. We can see in other places in the psalm, we, pra- we praise him by lifting hands, we praise him by lying down, we praise him. I mean, worship to me, as the psalmist paints it, is that we worship him in spirit, soul, and body. We worship him completely. We are called to be a people of worship. Many times we come before God again and say, I want to worship God like I want to worship God. Well, maybe if we got outside of our self-centeredness, we would say, God, I want to worship you like you want to be worshipped. How do you want me to worship you today? In the privacy of your home and in corporate worship in which people are blessed and God is glorified. God, how do you want to be worshipped? We believe in all these forms of worship. We have a dance team. We use instruments, various instruments that are part of our culture here, but we want to be a people who worship God in spirit and in truth and in every way. Finally, this, the who part. Who is called to worship? And I started the service off by quoting this verse, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then that final line again, hallelujah, praise the Lord. God gives us breath, and then breath ought to return to God in praise. You know, the Old Testament term for breath is ruach. Ruach. It sounds like it's a, it's a very guttural kind of sound, ruach. It sounds like you're speaking Klingon for those of you who are Star Trek geeks. But um, ruach, which means the breath of God. And everything that has breath, and that phrase is also used for the Spirit of God. The, the Spirit of God is the breath of God which fills us up, and everything that has breath, everything that breathes, everything that the Spirit inhabits, is to sing forth, speak forth, live forth praises before him. We still have breath. We have breath physically, we have breath spiritually, therefore we are called at every moment, in every circumstance, wherever we are, to boast in this, boast in the Lord. Sing praises to his name. I want to encourage you, fullness, people, family, to reorient your worship. Don't don't just come on Sunday morning saying, I got to go to church. It's 10 o'clock. You know, if I'm going to be a part of fullness, I join this club. The obligations are I got to show up to the club meetings and I got to pay my dues. By the way, some of you should pay more of your dues than you're paying. That's a side. But I got to go to to the club meeting. I got to pay my dues. I got to do whatever. Forgive me. I'm just kind of being cynical and funny. 
uh, hopefully. Um, instead, instead, see this. How do I go and praise God? How do I go and boast in Him this morning? How can I lift up and exalt Him? This is all about Him. And let me encourage you to do this beyond just what you do here. When you leave this place, say, what can I do to find my boast in the Lord? God, forgive me where I'm boasting in things I shouldn't, even the good things in my life. But instead, let me find all of my worth in this truth. You are my God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Stand up with me. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to praise your name, to exalt you. Lord, really, the reasons we have to praise you go beyond us. I mean, I I couldn't even list all the reasons that you are worthy of praise this morning, but we acknowledge that you are worthy. Lord, we bless you, we praise you, we exalt you. Lord, with our lips right now, before we leave this place, we want to sing a song of praise to you, to lift up your name, and to say you are worthy, that our boast, our soul, boasts in the Lord our God. change our perspective. May our bent from being self-centered suddenly straighten and be challenged by the truth that you are God and you're worthy of all praise. Lord, we thank you and bless you. Let's just exalt the Lord. Before we leave this morning, with our hearts, our voices, our hands lifted before him, let's exalt the truth, him, and the truth that he is worthy to be praised.